Hi, welcome back to another edition of the Arms Boom and Like Project, caught with coffee in hand here on uh, July 5th, 2022. This is episode 28, season two of the live stream show where Windsor Essex comes to chat and get to know the faces, names, and voices behind so many different avenues here in our wonderful city and region. We are live this evening, as usual, on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, and you can catch up with rebroadcasts of the show. Um, I think we're like 78 episodes cumulatively in which is kind of crazy since we started this uh, about a year and a couple months ago, uh, all up on Apple Podcasts, and you can also check it out on YouTube as well. Uh, my name is Arms. Happy to have you along for the ride, uh, broadcasting live from beautiful Amherstburg, Ontario, at the Little Heart Social Studios, uh, just off of Texas Road. And uh, hard to believe, here we are, July 5th, 2022. I hope you had a wonderful Canada Day, and we've got lots of ground to cover tonight. My guest is somebody who I have tremendous respect for. And I say that often with my guests because I, I I do invite people that I certainly have riffed with over the years, people that I've worked with, people that I've supported, people who supported me. Um, but our guests generally have a deep connection to Windsor-Essex. That's sort of the resounding thread when it comes to this particular live stream podcast. And um, that's really about driving that good news here in the city. So shout out to our season sponsor, Motor City Chrysler, located at the intersection of Walker and Tecumseh, Jason and the team, fantastic supporters of all things local, uh, obviously great car dealership to work with, but they are supporting this show and what we do here on a weekly basis here in YQG. So thank you so much to Motor City Chrysler and their continued support of this particular program uh, and good news in Windsor-Essex. You can check out MotorCityChrysler.ca. But my guest really drives the notion of uh, convergence media. And if you're not familiar with convergence media, what that is, it's you know, back way back when you had your TV guys, you had your radio guys, and then you had your your print people, people who did, uh, you know, the newspaper. Well, in today's digital age, there's no really separation of, quote unquote, church and state. It's sort of like if you're a journalist, you're doing it all. And uh, I have a tremendous respect for people who have that talent because it is very much talent. Um, one of my weaker areas, I would never call myself a journalist, but certainly somebody who did broadcasting. Uh, one of my weaker areas was print. I was not the best in writing in terms of uh, the online thing, but um, certainly my guest here has got all those bases covered. I've had a, a huge respect for her work. Um, she is the voice of uh, journalism here in Windsor-Essex, and she does some tremendous work for the CBC, uh, not only in Toronto and across Ontario and really Canada, but right here in Windsor-Essex. She is born and raised and somebody who knows what's happening in the city. She's got some tremendous areas of um, reporting that she's done. And I've had a brief but very enjoyable time learning from her and working with her during my tenure at the CBC. So I'm very happy, very honored to welcome my good friend. I'm very excited to welcome her to the show, Katie Fraser, who is joining us here on the show. Hey, Katie, how are you, my friend? Hello, Arms. I'm so good. And thank you for that lovely introduction. That was really so kind. Thank you. Oh, my God. I mean, I, first of all, um, I, I always say that to everybody like who comes on the show like I you work with so many different people as as you know and Windsor is like five degrees separated and I, I mean you kind of know people in the broadcast circle you kind of get to know them you know you know of them you heard of them but I didn't know you until I started at CBC and um, it's hard when you're sort of the new kid in school and uh, I remember going on several assignments with you learning from you watching an admiration as you worked on the assignment desk watching an admiration as you were pumping up content for the web which was totally foreign to me um, and I just really got to respect you and I think out of that respect became I think of hopefully a mutual friendship so I'm very honored to have you here and I, I really mean that I think you're just you just do a tremendous job at what you do 
Thank you so much. That's so sweet. Thank you. And it was a pleasure working with you too. I can't believe, I think it was about four years ago now, Arms. Oh my God. I know. Yeah, that's <laughs> four what? years and about 40 pounds later, right? <laughs> well, you're not, you don't, you look the same. That's for sure. Oh, God bless you. You're, you're, you're very, very nice lady. So um, yeah, it's been a slice. We got to catch up. We got lots of ground to cover. Um, for folks who aren't familiar with Katie's work, uh, I'm telling you, some really great journalism from a local lens, uh, representing a number of topics and issues here in Windsor-Essex. But to do that, you have to have a very inquisitive mind. So I want to talk about that. What got you into the realm of journalism and, and storytelling, really? Like, what sort of pulled you into that direction growing up and, and landing at the CBC? You know, it's so funny. Like... It's so funny that sometimes when you're a little kid, you kind of go back to those core things. And when I was a little kid, I would write newspapers, magazines. I like remember begging my parents for a camcorder because I wanted to do like, I would do little tours of our house and stuff like that. But, but all through high school and university, really, I never really thought of journalism as a pathway. It, so it was actually when I was at the University of Windsor, I was studying communications, media and film there that I really developed like this great appreciation for journalism and, and learning about public opinion and how, how important solid journalism, ethical, moral journalism is for our communities, right? Like how do you make decisions unless you're informed? Um, so through university, that's where I really developed that passion where the storytelling kind of met the purpose for me. Um, and I worked at this really small little cable news station in Leamington uh, in university. And I, it was like an internship and I was doing weather and some spot news there. And I just loved it. And right away I was like, this is, this is what I got to do. So I, um, I moved to Toronto right after my undergrad and did a postgrad in journalism. And I started working at CBC as an intern right away. And like, as soon as they let me in the door, I was just... That was it. I loved it. <laughs> I didn't want You're to hooked. leave. <laughs> yeah. It's um it's interesting to see that sort of progression, right? Like uh for you to work in in the sort of very small market and then get to then I would say very much because I want to talk about your time with Peter Mansbridge, which I when you were telling me that when we were working together four years ago, I was like, that's freaking cool, man. But um working your way through that and getting to see how Again, those smaller stories can sometimes really become things that resonate well with the public and very much the audience. And I think I think I've always respected you having that pulse on the community to say, hey, wait a second, this is a really good authentic voice or this is a side of the story that we haven't seen. So would you say that that sort of and I'm not going to I don't mean this disingenuously, Katie, but that small town mentality has kind of helped you elevate those stories to, you know, sort of the national stage? I think you're spot on arms. Like that's, that's exactly it. Like coming from Windsor, I grew up outside Windsor and River Canard in between Windsor and Amherstburg there. And, you know, Windsor always had a bit of a stigma when I was growing up, you know, going to the university of Windsor, I was a bit stigmatized compared to friends that went to other schools, lived in other cities. And I started my journalism career working in a national newsroom where, again, there was some ideas in, in different jobs I had in Toronto about what Windsor was like. And to me, I just thought, like, how can you judge a whole community like that through that lens? It's so unfair. And I always fought so hard against, against that kind of feeling about what Windsor was or this idea that Windsor had. Because I really think that a good story is a good story no matter where it is, you know? 
And I think anybody's story in Windsor and Essex County could be a story that resonates across Canada. So I think as a, as a strong storyteller, that's what you're looking for. You're kind of looking for like, how does my neighbor Joe's, you know, important thing he's doing, how does that resonate to others? Because it doesn't have to just be in Windsor. And I, I think, you know, that passion for this community really opened my eyes as a storyteller about how, how, do you, how do you make someone else care no matter where they are? Because a good story is a good story at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I think you and I got along so well, very much while working together was I think we both appreciated um, and certainly what resonated you to me was, you know, you're trying to get those real voices, right? I know we often used to say that in the newsroom, we just try to find a real voice. And, you know, sometimes, you know, in roles post CBC for me, I very much became that talking head. Um, you know, and it's like sort of those PR people who are doing the thing that sort of, you know, tow the company line. But then on the flip side of it, you want to hear from the people who are on the ground. You want to hear about those stories. And um, I think that's a real skill set that people don't appreciate with journalists as well. And I've, I, mean, I remember we were one assignment that we were doing. We were talking to some people, I think it was one of the municipal elections, but just getting some feedback from people. And I hate using the term everyday people, but just people on the street and and getting their feedback, too. But I think that's. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think that's where journalism can thrive and really grow, I think, going forward is being that mouthpiece for the for the people who may not have a mouthpiece or, or, or even a soapbox, so to speak. That's exactly what it's about. And, and I think that's what drives me a lot, because people in powerful positions or with platforms, they already have an avenue to, to get their message out or whatever that is, you know, whether it's they're running for elections or, you know, a business, whatever it is, people with power have that avenue. It's the regular people, if you want to call them regular people, um, mm -hmm. that don't and kind of need that support to tell their stories or kind of get themselves out there and just make their opinions heard, right? Like it's, you don't want to hear from the same people all the time, right? So that's true. That's part that's of true. it. true. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, we've got so much ground to cover tonight. I'm so blessed to have you on the show. Um, again, one thing I wanted to talk to you, and I know that you're... I would say the queen of Twitter, you've got a great pulse on, you know, I see, you know, the pitches for, Hey, we're looking for this. Does anybody have a story? Contact me on Twitter. I follow you. I, I get a lot of my updates for, for you, uh, from you on what's happening in the news. Um, how much has sort of crowd journalism or, 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 or that sort of social media journalism has, has that changed even since we've worked together to now in 2022? Oh, like I don't even know where to start. I mean, with the pandemic, things were already moving in that in that direction with social media being like a huge tool for me to connect with people in the community to find voices. Um, but throughout COVID, it's been even worse. Like, you know, I'm someone as a reporter who I'm not in the field a lot, because like, as you mentioned, I do a lot more writing, I'm, I'm doing a lot more desk work, radio work, and I still do TV, but a lot less. So I'm not out there as much on shoots. A lot of my interviews are virtual or on the phone and they always kind of have been. So I've always been used to working in that, um, that zone and working in Toronto. Like I was working for a national news program for Canadians across the country. You know, I had to find Canadians across the country without going there. So sure. social media is like, it's where it's at. And I mean, there's, there's, you have to be careful. There's a balance, I think, because 
social media is a privilege. Having a phone, having internet access, those are privileges that not everybody in this country can afford. And we have to be realistic about who has time to be online, who has access to online. So that's always something I'm thinking about too. But generally speaking, I mean, that's where you can really find a lot of different people. Um, you have to be careful, like I said, but it's it's a great tool to connect with people. And, and like I said, during the pandemic, when face-to-face contact was just not an option, I couldn't just go to you know a community event and meet new people and get story ideas there. I had to really rely on Facebook and Twitter and sometimes Reddit, but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know what I would have done the last couple of years without it. I, I want to get back to that social media angle too, and, and talk about some of the, uh, I guess, synergies between, you know, story writing and sourcing and all that kind of stuff. But um, let's talk about the pandemic because I, 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 geez, I remember, I always say on the show, it's like March, 2020 was like, the t- March 17, 2020, St. Patrick's Day was the wor- day that the world ended as we knew it. Um, as I say, not to be dramatic, but very much the life up until that point was very different up until now here in July 5th, 2022. Walk me through what was going on from your angle, because I know that information was coming down at a breakneck speed. There was a ton of fear. People are trying to figure out what, like, how is that from a journalism perspective, even from your perspective working in the field, how how did that roll out for you and, and really the team? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was never something that any of us have dealt with. Um, I don't think anybody in the industry, any anyone in the world has, had dealt with that or knew what to do. Um, for me, it was it was very much like, how is this going to affect Windsor? You know, being a journalist based in Windsor when that when that pandemic happened, it was it was we need to like look out for our people. What does this mean? We're a border community. You know, it's very unique in that sense. Um, how are we going to get the most accurate and updated information out there um, and kind of be that pipeline that people can rely on during that time? But at the same time, um, you know, I was also dealing with things that we all were like switching to working from home, being afraid for myself, my friends, my family. Um, it, it was really it was really challenging. Um, the first year I was covering COVID-19 um, every day. So those health unit calls with the Windsor Essex County Health Unit, um, mm. Dr. Ahmed and um, and the chief nursing officer at the time, like Every single day I was logging in and getting updates and asking them questions. And, you know, within a couple months, it was it was really tough. It was really tough because it was so scary. So it was really hard to maintain that professionalism. Uh, I shouldn't say hard, but it was it was kind of challenging. It was hard. It's hard to see what was happening around me and still reporting on it in a way that was fair and accurate and 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 all those things. but yeah, it's, I mean, we had to learn to work from home. We still kind of, some, some of, I still work from home at times too, um, starting to integrate back into being in the office and being out in the field more, which is great. But yeah, I think just, just like everybody else, journalism had to adapt and yeah, it was not easy. <laughs> I, I, I will give you credit because that's, um, I thought of you guys when everything started to shut down. And when I started to tune into those health unit, um, I guess daily briefings, whatever you want to call them, I remember you asking a question, which was, I thought was a very fair question, but you did it in a way that made me smile watching the feed because it was very, 
holding truth to power getting to trying to getting that 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 response but it was very respectable and i think that's something too that isn't well appreciated from both sides from maybe some journalists maybe trying to sensationalize a bit and then maybe from the public not realizing that that's a fine line that you can still ask hard questions but you can also do it in a way that is very professional so that people um I guess the people in power can respect that, right? And 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 they can give you hopefully an honest answer. Yeah, I think for me, it's always about getting that information. Um, I don't think that yelling or cornering someone or um, you know using inflammatory language has helped me in any sort of way, and is not the avenue I would take, um, especially on a topic where you need the facts my audience, I'm hoping I'm bringing them the facts, you know, you want to make sure that the way that you're asking questions is going to get that information in the best possible way. And that doesn't mean interrogation. It doesn't mean intimidation. Um, there's, there's many ways to do it, but for me, I want the answer. And so sometimes that means being tough, but firm, but being fair, you know, and I, I have respect for the people that I interview and I hope they have the, that respect for me too. So I hope they respect that when I have the tough question, you know, it's still going to come across tough, but I don't have to be a jerk to get it, you know, but I have to say, I'm really thankful for, for the community during that time, because a lot of people would tweet at me the questions they wanted me to ask the health unit. And it was super health, helpful um, at that time when I when I could kind of bring those questions from the community directly to the leaders at the time, um, because like so many people were so unsure. And oh, for sure. You sometimes I felt like I was asking the same questions over and over again because they didn't have no one had answers. Right. No. So no. It, it was great to have the community. It was a revolving um, it was a revolving door of information. And I, and I, I feel like. And it's no, I don't think it's anybody's fault. It's just, like you said, nobody was ever prepared for what was coming down the pipe. And very much a lot of that, I think, fell into the fear factor in the sense that, okay, what the hell is going on, right? Um, but I think that was great because I feel that, and I remember, I do remember watching and I remember you referencing somebody that had messaged you or somebody that had tweeted you. And I thought that was brilliant because you're showing people that you're doing, I mean, you're doing the work, but you're also providing that platform because you could, I mean, the guidance would change every two minutes and people were and rightfully so. I think a lot of that messaging got lost because there was just so much coming down the pipe at that time. Things were changing. Things were changing really fast. And I mean, that's whether you it's science or the politics around that science that were changing, things were happening fast. So the best you could do, I think, as a journalist was do your best to try to get the facts at that time and report on those facts at that time. And then there was a lot of, you know, why did those facts change? <laughs> there was a lot of reporting about why facts changed, which was hard. It was hard, but it's, it was one of those things. It, it was a revolving door. Like you said, were there any, I don't want to say efficiencies. Um, were there anything and I know that, you know, CBC was able to go live several times for extended sort of Facebook lives, which I thought was brilliant during the pandemic and and to kind of keep that local spin and and local angle on, you know, some of that national stuff that was coming down from uh, a COVID perspective. But were there anything like lessons learned? I know you've been in the newsroom for quite some time in our newsroom and, and newsrooms right across the country. 
anything that we're like, hey, wait a second, we should maybe be doing more of this, or maybe this is something that we can implement in our outside of reaching out to the public and saying, hey, what are the, some of the things that you guys want us to bring forward? Is there anything that really like, wait a second, COVID has offered us an opportunity to change a bit? I mean, I won't speak on behalf of, behalf of CBC and, and in that sense, um, but I know for myself, I think I felt a little bit more connected to the community than I had before. Um, it really, like I kind of said, it really did feel like people were looking to me to, at times to get to get the answers they were kind of after. And that really kept kept it in perspective for me that whole time. Like when I mentioned earlier, you know, it was hard reporting and being worried about myself, my family. Obviously, I, I was affected by the pandemic personally. Um, but I always kept in mind, like, what's this like for everybody else? What's everybody else going through? What are the stories I'm not hearing every day? You know, who who's being most affected by this pandemic? Because for me, you know, I was at home. I was living with my family at the time, my aunt and uncle. It was great. Like we had each other. I used that time to kind of work on myself. I had a job, right? But there's so many people out there that did not have the privilege to stay home and work. And yeah. It really opened my eyes even more to to the different types of people in the community, and and I just it was a it was a big eye opener, and it continues to be. And I'm glad that in that sense that it was to me, you know, to burst my own little bubble a bit. Uh Again, if you're just joining us on the show, we're having a great discussion with a good friend of mine from the CBC, Katie Frazier, who is uh, spending some time with me this evening. Very honored to have her a part of the program. Um, she's contributed so much to the local journalism sector in terms of some of the story writing and storytelling she's done, um, covering all sorts of great topics and great issues that affect here in Windsor-Essex. And uh, certainly, if you'd love to chime in, we'd love to hear from you. You can comment in the live feed. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, Katie, too, is you know you're spending that time... I said sort of working on yourself, living with family. I know we talked before we went live. Now you're settled in in, in Walkerville. And I want to focus on some of that um, community in, in that area. Where do, you, where do you think, you know, Windsor is such a unique area. Like how do we, like Walkerville's got a lot of things going on. And I know that you, you're recently out there and kind of the stories are, I, I would assume are, 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 they're so rich, right? There's so many things to pull from that are coming out of the community post-pandemic now, I would assume that, you know, people are kind of reaching out. I know a lot of events are wrapping up and, and getting going. How do you feel generally about the area and, and you know, um, where we're going to hopefully go in the next couple of years? Uh, well, like I mentioned, I always have had a soft spot for Windsor. Um, I think, you know, it's just, what can I say? I mean, it's beautiful. Like, it's, it's a beautiful city, a beautiful county. We have so much here the access to the States and Detroit. I also love Detroit and I think Windsor and Detroit's history is so tied together in a lot of really special ways. Um, but like, I'm really excited about Windsor's future. I, I think there's wonderful, beautiful people here doing really unique things. And Windsor's a bit of an underdog in a lot of ways. You know, like I mentioned, a bit of a stigma that I felt when I was in university and living in Toronto about how people felt about Windsor. But I've always been a huge advocate of this area, a huge advocate of this area. And there's so much rich history. You know, like you hear that term all the time, rich history, but it's so true. And I think uh, during the pandemic, too, since we've had to do a lot more virtual, you know, museums are going online. Um, a lot of the historical societies have had to go online. 
it again, it's opened my eyes to a lot of these little places and, and people that I haven't met or seen or been to seen. It's gotten a lot more accessible to, to learn about that history and especially like Sandwich Town, Walkerville, um, but also in the county too, you know, I just, I think the future is really bright. Yeah, I agree. And I, 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 I hope, you know, despite the fact that there are, you know, generally speaking, there's, you know, some growing pains and certainly with inflation and everything, you know, people are kind of having to make some tough decisions financially. But, you know, you've got so many different things coming down the pipe. You've got the battery plant that was good, some good news for Windsor-Essex. And and uh, I mean, to kind of sort of scale it down in your neck of the woods in Walkerville, I know that they just did their, um, the statue of Hiram Walker that kind of finally, I was said to somebody the other day, I remember back in 2008 when they were about to close the Kilder house and it got re it got bought and rebranded and everybody thought that was going to be it. And then look at, you know, that was what, 14 years ago. Um, I, I, I think we have opportunities to see what each quote unquote district is and what it can be to sort of bring in some people. And I think we're seeing that in some areas. I know certainly from a real estate perspective for myself, um, you get to see some of the regions that continue to boom. I don't know if you've been out to Tecumseh. I always reference Tecumseh, but Tecumseh and Manning right now, it's like, I, it reminds me of Mississauga, right? Just in terms of the development and how busy it is and how things are growing. And um, I really hope that continues because I know you're born and raised here. I know you, you left for school and we'll talk a bit about CBC Toronto and your experience there in a minute too. But it's just nice to see finally things starting to sort of develop for Windsor and, and surrounding areas to get us where I think we need to be. I, people... People want that. I think people of Windsor want that. Like we, there is, there is a pride in the city. I, I feel, you know, and I hope others feel that too, but I think you're right. Despite a lot of the setbacks that the last two years have had, it, there's been a lot of news of, you know, the battery plant, as you said, that's going to be a huge job maker in the city. Um, but I'm also just seeing and, and hearing like a lot of small businesses popping up. A lot of the migration of people that's happened across Ontario, it, it seems like we're getting, even more different types of people looking to opening businesses, looking to start um, to start something neat and different in the city. So yeah, it's, it's an exciting time for sure. I mean, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed, right? I mean, yeah. it'll be interesting to see where this all goes, but I, I, I think we're in good hands. Um, when you're up at the, in, in CBC, that I call the mothership in Toronto, the, the, the big station, I, we were talking before we went on air um, and, and working in that, in that spectrum. I mean, there's got to be an element like when I went, I was only up there for like one day and, and Shauna, bless her heart. Um, she, I love Shauna. She sent me up there to kind of experience what it was and to talk to some of the folks at CBC Toronto and Dwight uh, Drummond and all those guys. Um, I was like blown away. I felt like, you know, here we are in Windsor. It's like, okay, we're doing a show. We're doing this. Look at us. And then it's like, you go to Toronto and it's like, Oh my God, like there's, CBC News Network in that particular wing, and then there's CBC Toronto in this wing. And it was, for me, uh, doing broadcasting, I'm not going to say journalism, but broadcasting in this region for as long as I've done it, it was very humbling to see, hey, this is like the big leagues. So for you, I mean, tell me, you were working it, you were in it, you were in the thick of it. What What is all that like? You know, What are the things that people don't see from, from the day-to-day on-air product or online product? It, it feels like another life. <laughs> it feels like another life. Seriously. 
Like, I think I worked there about six years. About six years, I was working for um, CBC News at a network level and for the National, which is um, the flagship nightly program. Um, it was... Uh, like like you mentioned, so if for people that don't know and haven't been there, the CBC in Toronto is located in this giant building right downtown, like you can right close to the CN Tower. Mm -hmm. um, it takes up a whole city block. It's massive. And it's not all CBC. CBC is actually only like in a small amount of the building. But it is you do get this like grandiose sense when you walk in and the studios are huge, like the TVs everywhere. The newsroom was huge. The, the control room was huge. Um, it was a riot. I mean, like it, I, it was never lost on me the like not the, I guess the power that you have in that position where it's like I could talk to Canadians across the country and ask them questions and they would be happy to tell me their stories. And along with that, I got to work with some of the best people, the, I think the best journalists that we have in this country. That was never lost on me either. And the kindness and support and mentoring that those teams gave me, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be reporting. I wouldn't be, you know, writing the stories I'm writing today if it wasn't for those people that actually showed me how to do it and taught me why it's important and all those other things. So like, I, I think about those times, I just smile the whole time because I just seemed, I worked so hard, but the harder I worked, the more people were willing to invest in me. And, and that was like the, the most special part about it. Yeah, it takes some, um, you know, when you talk about that leadership lens and, and, and certainly having that synergy with people, like when you are able to have those people guide you and guide you from a good place. Um, I think for folks like yourself, it's like the sky's the limit because you, you're not afraid to put in the work, but you're also appreciative of the guidance that you're getting. And, you know, you were able to work with some of the best in the biz, right? Like, you know, we work alongside Peter Mansbridge and, you know, the, even the people you don't see or hear. Um, you know, a lot of the associate producers and, you know, showrunners and all these people that are involved to the day to day that you know, general public don't know that they're there that are very much God sent um, to make sure that whatever product you're putting on air or online is palpable, uh, palpable and uh, digestible for, for folks to to consume. I mean, I, 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 you know, I watch CBC News Network and, you know, I know it's sometimes it is on the rotating cycle. And I think, man, there's people behind the scenes making these stories happen 24 seven, which is it's pretty incredible when you think about the cog in the machine that some of these folks who are journalists are to make the product come alive for the particular audience. It's so true. Like you're, you're seeing one if you're watching, you're seeing one person on a screen, but like it is the team behind them that that really makes it come together. Um, and you're so right. Like even for me, I think a lot of people in the community might not know who I am. I'm not on the show very much. I'm not on the airwaves as much. I do a lot of work behind the scenes. Um, and a lot of the people that mentored me and taught me were the same way. It's like the producers I worked with, the senior writers I worked with, um, you know, it really is a team effort. And, and I think quality journalism comes from, from a team effort in that sense. So you need it. You need it. And I was absolutely blessed to have it when I did it at that time. And, and now too here in Windsor. One of the things when I was working with you guys at the shop that I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I have grown to appreciate in the years since is the concept of um, the deep dive. Right. And I think that's something I think folks don't may not understand, but I think it's something that the CBC does extremely well. 
is maybe having that. I remember we always used to say OJ. Let's find that OJ. Let's find that original journalism, right? But having that story that we can kind of roll out from a multi-platform approach. And I, I, you know, through the pandemic, I've seen that and heard that, read that with CBC. But seeing that sort of roll out through um, things post-pandemic or even pre-pandemic, right? When, you know, we were working together to having those sort of unique stories that, you can debut on the morning show and then follow up with a different lead for the next night and then present some new tidbits of information at the six and then have the fulsome story online. And one of the things I was just in awe of what you do and, and, and continue to do is packaging it all together. So it is in sort of a digestible, I use that term format for people to understand. So there's several different sides to this story online and making it engage and like, it's one thing to put it all there in an article, but you have to make it like I remember you were telling me you got to make it so people can kind of follow through and there's different things that draws them to it, whether it's text on video. All of that are, are things I don't think Katie public may not be aware of or appreciate about what goes into that selection process to say, OK, maybe we're going to pump this on Twitter, but we'll do this. I think I agree. Like, I think when people think about news, they think about television news and, you know, rightfully so for years, that's been a lot of people's main source of information. But, you know, we're at a time now where there's generations who really grew up not watching television at all. So you can make really great journalism and you can have really strong ethics and reasons behind what you're doing and and no one will see it or read it or hear it. So you really have to think I, as a strong storyteller, um, where where is my audience? Where are they right now? You know, because it's not fair to only appeal to people that are watching TV anymore or people that are only have access to online. You know, we radio is still really important. Uh, social media, obviously, especially for younger generations, like that's where people are getting their information from. So I think it's thinking about the stories in a way, bringing it to a place where people are. And I think that's still, it's still really a challenge for me. I think about this all the time because, you know, getting information out that's factual, accurate, um, fair, balanced is top priority number one, but it's not really worth all that work if people aren't going to see it or hear it or read it, like I said. So you, you really, I'm really thinking about a lot, you know, how do we engage with, how do I engage with, an audience that I'm not already engaging with, like, where are they? Where's the best place to find them? How can I make something that they actually want to see or read? Um, because like I said, if they're not reading it and seeing it, then I'm not doing my job very good. <laughs> it's, not oh, it's just, it's like, you've got all that. Uh, I mean, some of the deep dives that I, I geez, like we were a part of too. It's like, we've got all this great information and all the behind the scenes work that has to go through, but it's like, how do you, like, like, I remember you were so brilliant at this is like, how do you package it? Like, what's the headline and how do we, is there something that we can sn snip for social? Um, is there an extended interview that we can do? Is there anything that brings more eyes to the prize, so to speak? Um, it's so you can kind of carry that through. I was going to ask you too. I, I mean, TikTok has been huge. Uh, <laughs> and I've seen, you know, some other journalists at Global and CBC and, and certainly independent journalists too sort of read some headlines or do something very off the cuff when it comes to a story. How does that five second, two second, three second attention span, how does that play into your choices on how you guys are pumping out the content? So I like, yeah, I won't, I won't speak for CBC and, um, but I, I will say in, like in general, I think mm -hmm. 
this is where you have to be thinking. You know, I, I really do in news. Like, like I said, we have a generation of people who, if you don't capture them in the first three seconds, like that you're not going to get them. Right. And like I said, I think journalism at its core needs to reach people. And I love what, um, I think it's, yeah, the Washington post and the States, their TikTok account is one of my favorites. They're really so good at taking these really boring stories and fitting them into five seconds and all of this or 10 seconds or whatever it is. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's actually what's going on. And then I'll go read the article, you know, and find out more. Like I have so much respect for the young journalists um, that are really taking over TikTok right now and and trying to bring, you know, valuable information that's going to affect your decisions, my decisions and making it like your word digestible in a way that it's going to bring people in. So I think what they're kind of doing on TikTok right now is that and it's it's important, you know, like. It's not enough to just do a really good story if no one is feeling impacted by it. It's just it's just not worth it. And then I would think too, it, it's it's that's where you have different people at the the editorial table too, right? Because that's where you need to have, you know, different I would say different voices, but say different even life experiences, right? Something that may resonate with somebody who's been in the business for fifteen years, twenty five years may not like you said that it might be still a story but maybe it's the amount of time we're focusing on that versus a more localized angle or even something entirely different it's so important at like for storytellers and, and journalists especially i think to put their experiences on the side sometimes and i i mean that in the most tender way possible um like you said, I think sometimes we're in a bubble of our own kind of world um, and we do need to make spaces at tables for people that have different types of experiences that aren't like our own. Um, you have to be extremely open minded to that because, you know, I mentioned when we talked about the pandemic, like I had a job, I was living with family, I didn't have financial worries like that. That is a very unique and privileged experience. I didn't ever want to assume that was what the rest of the people in the community were going through during that pandemic, you know? So that's part of what I mean. I put my experience to the side there. Um, you have to. And I think any good storyteller is going to do that. And I think newsrooms need to be open to people with different experiences, different backgrounds. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's going to be the same story to told through the same lens. And, you know, there's not really room for that anymore. The audiences are changing too. I mean, you, I mean, you've got to see it. I know with you doing a lot of the web desk and, and, and seeing the metrics that come in, I remember when I was there, I don't know if it's still there, but the, we had the big screens with the web hits and who was going on, you know, what article of the day. And um, I mean, metrics certainly come into play, I, I think right across the board, right? Cause what gets measured gets managed. And, and you take a look at, you know, where people are clicking and where people are spending their time and, I think audience segmentation is is so different, right? Because then you have the people who are doing the three second videos on TikTok and five second videos on TikTok. But then, you know, you talk about my particular, like even for this show, this audience, like I, I do know, like, well, average about people dropping in and out of the feed, about 20, 25 people, but then, you know, downloads and after the fact, and not a lot of everybody's on Facebook. So then I put it up on, so there's, there's some big numbers there too, because I know for my demo, it's, it's women, uh, I mean, for, from what I, I know, um, is women 25 to 54 are primarily watching, listening, downloading the show. 
So I try to think about things that sort of that long format, so more of that podcast format where you can have that conversation and then be in depth and not have to worry about 10 second sound bites. And that's not palpable for, I think, some folks, and that's fine. But I think that's where like the audience starts to become micro f- uh, fragmented, right? Um, because you, you want to make sure you're hitting different people. And then uh, I know the CBC continues to bring people from outside of the region and, and different journalists from different areas of the country to sort of, you know, bring them in and have that kind of fresh take and fresh response. And, and, and that served, I think, some of the storytelling very well, if I, if correct me if I'm wrong, or the last couple of years as well. I think um, a lot of the journalists like that I've worked with and spoke to, they've always kind of instilled in me the importance of seeing the country and meeting new people and being open to to all sorts of different people. And that it is so important. It really is. I think, like I said, it's easy to live in your own bubble and you're going to be influenced by that. It's important to be open to other people's experiences and, and lived experiences. Um, if you don't have that, you know, you're going to be super narrow focused. And that's like anything really, when you think about it. But to your point about the audience, I mean, anybody creating content right now, um, you were competing in an extremely, extremely competitive industry. I mean, like this is what we're all yeah. attached to, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I've got two. Yeah. I've got two. I don't even like having two, but I do. <laughs> um, like you, it's not just like it's a this a television show. Like, you know, you're not competing with another podcast. You're competing with thousands, millions of podcasts across the world, right? Mm-hmm. So I think as a content creator, um, it's, it's important to kind of stay true to what it is that you want to do. And the audience will kind of come to you in that sense. But, um, but from a journalism standpoint, I really think it's important that understanding your audience means knowing where they are and knowing how to engage with them. And that's always changing and that's going to continue to always change. It always has. It's just a little bit faster now, I think with social media and, and, and other types of, ways that people are being engaged online. Um, it's it's really a competitive race uh, and it's definitely getting harder, I think, in the journalism sphere. So my friend, like what's next for you? I mean, you're continuing to, I mean, so I love doing my own, you continue to kick ass and you're doing your thing and you're, I said, I, I love the articles. Um, I think they're very informative. They're very balanced. Like what's next for you? Uh, what is next for me? I don't know. You know, I'm, I've always been one of those people that I always have to be working towards the next thing. And I remember talking to one of my good friends uh, in Toronto about this. We used to say to each other, like, are you ever worried that you're never going to run out of ambition and you're always going to be kind of like pushing towards that next thing? Because that's how we felt. We were always like so hungry and like we were never really happy. Like we never really made it. You know what I mean? I think that's how I feel. Like I, I've always been one of these people where I need to be working towards something else. Oh, my little, my little light just gave out. I need to be working towards the next thing. Um, I don't necessarily know what that is, but I'm not happy being too comfortable. <laughs> and I think that's, yeah, I think that's why journalism's been like so great. Is that every day I'm learning. Every day is something different. Um, that really drives me. So I think for now, I'll probably stay in the field, but I'd like to do some more independent writing. So you never know. That could be something that I'll get into a little more. I think you're fantastic at it. And I just, I, I when I, I look back at things I've done and I, I always remember the people who were very, very kind 
And um, I think you were nothing short of a professional and a kind heart too. So when you said yes to the show, I was like, yes, appreciate it. So thanks. That's so sweet. I've always enjoyed working with you too. And I love these podcasts. I can't believe, is this your second, this is the second season now, right? Yeah, I was, I was doing like when I kind of got, I landed at the Humane Society. I said to Melanie Coulter, who I've known for years, I said, I want to start doing a podcast because I, I do miss it. I do missing, I do miss doing the radio stuff. I know when I was with you guys, I was primarily doing television, but I do miss doing the long form stuff. And I just, I had Liam at the time, um, still do. Um, and now I've got Olivia too. And it's like, I just don't have time to drive into a studio and then I started looking into this stuff and I'm like, this is easy. I can come down to my office and flip a switch and we're live. Um, but I, I, I was doing a couple episodes a week and my wife was going to divorce me, uh, cause she was, she was like, you can't like, you don't, you, you, I can't with one kid now two. So for me, I tell her, it's like, it's very therapeutic for me. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy connecting with people, keeping those connections out in the community and, and, um, you know, it, it works out well. Yeah. So, um, I enjoy doing it and it's, it gives me a chance to kind of reconnect with a lot of people I respect and, and are honored to call friends and coworkers through the years. So that's wonderful. That's a wonderful reason to, to chat with people on a podcast. It's fun. It's, it keeps me young. So I, I just want you to give my best to everybody at the CBC, um, continue doing what you guys are doing and, and continuing being a voice and holding truth to power here in the city. I think it's needed. And, um, I, you know, my, virtual door is always open and you know hopefully i'll get you back on the show soon okay thank you arms thank you so much for having me oh my god i think you're fantastic so thank you so much katie frazier from the cbc joining us on the show what a lovely lady um, knows her stuff about journalism we're just getting a ton of comments here um coming in after the fact chris says so nice to see you katie always a treat to listen to you great job thumbs up um yeah katie's what is awesome she's the one you know doing the stories. I'm the one yakking here on a Tuesday night so my wife uh, doesn't throw the shoe at me. Uh, Faye says, we adore you, Katie. I agree. So thank you for watching the show. We appreciate it. Um, if you want to find out more uh, about Katie, uh, again, on CBC Radio, uh, CBC Windsor, uh, occasionally on the CBC 6 o'clock news, um, you can find out more about her storytelling. It's all listed on CBC's website, um, talking a little bit about the process of journalism here in the region as well. Richard saying, hey, good evening. Are kids all sleeping? Yeah, I think so. Um, Liam went to bed. That's why I get to do the show. So very nice. Hey, speaking of live streams and being on on the air, uh, we've got a very special live stream that's happening this Friday night at 745 for the Windsor-Essex County Humane Society. It is the doggy, uh, I shouldn't say doggy bag delivery because we're not delivering, but the tail wagging takeout. It's our virtual gala, our last virtual gala that we are ever going to do. We're going back to traditional galas next year in 2023. Uh, we will be live at 745 for a black tie event that you are invited to. Uh, we'll be doing some takeout deliver uh, takeout meals at the St. Clair College Center for the Arts, and we have some opportunities for you to learn a little bit more about the Humane Society, hear from some people who are involved in this year's gala, and um, get some live entertainment too. Speaking of the CBC, um, I've tapped my good friend, Mike Hargraves, who works at CBC, who's actually his soul brother, Mike, uh, the husband to Chrissy Cochran, uh, to perform live for us at the Humane Society for the live stream. So that'll happen this Friday at 745 simulcast on the Humane Society Facebook page and on my page too. And you'll find out why we need support of Windsor and Essex County to do some incredible things at the Humane Society. So that'll be happening this Friday again at 745. Listen, have a fantastic rest of the week. I appreciate you spending some time with me here on the show. Podcasts will be up momentarily. Live streams are all archived on YouTube. Check them out for yourself. 
Next week, we are going to talk about homelessness in Windsor Essex. We're going to talk about politics and we're going to talk about community. Greg LeMay, community activist, is going to join us on the show next Tuesday night at eight o'clock here on the project. Until then, stay safe and be kind. Oh, 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 o